Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all headed up. This podcast is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com, an online learning platform for fundraising event professionals. We're coming to you today from the studios of the AV department. Please welcome our hosts, Kristen Steele and Samantha Swain. Well, I'm really excited today on the Fundraising Elevator. We have a very special guest, our dear friend, executive director, artist, just extraordinaire, Sarah Greenman, here to talk about the sort of juxtaposition of the nonprofit sector we live in right now and those who lead with collaboration and abundance and those who lead in a starvation mindset and some of the challenges there. (laughs) Sarah's working really hard to combat and change the nonprofit narrative. So Sarah, we're so glad to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much. Let us do an official introduction. Kristen, you want to kick off with her official bio? I do. Sarah Greenman is a painter, playwright, facilitator, and community organizer. She also serves as executive director for the American Leadership Forum of Oregon. Her work is rooted in a core framework of joy, justice, inclusion, right relationship, and anti-racist praxis. She has deep experience as a nonprofit leader, project manager, organizational strategist, and has served in a wide range of creative and administrative roles. Sarah's deepest joys in life are her two children, Katie and Charlie, her partner, Kelly, and her art practice. She loves to garden, travel, cook, read, and dance like no one is watching. Sarah splits her time between rural eastern Oregon, the lands of the Nimapu, Cayuse, and Umatilla, and rural southern Oregon, lands of the Cow Creek, Tacoma, Shasta, Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde, and Siletz. We're honored to know her. We're even more honored to have her here. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So nonprofits are at a moment of inflection, transition, opportunity, call it what you like. Um, And we are just so continually inspired by your leadership. I'm wondering if you can start off today talking to us a little bit about your approach to collaborative leadership. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much for having me here. It's a joy to be with both of you. Um, Collaborative leadership or relational leadership for me is the only way I know how to do my work. Uh, Since I work for and in service of communities, I have to be in relationship with them and not just relationship, but right relationship. And what that means for me uh, is that we understand each other and that we know each other and we have some civic intimacy or what I call civic intimacy, which is that we have some closeness and that takes vulnerability. And so that's um, my approach to collaborative leadership is really about how can I be transparent? How can I share with you who I really am so that you can share with me who you really are and more importantly, what you really need. And so if I'm in that space, if I'm at that learning edge in my leadership roles, uh, then I feel like we can get some real work done. So I feel like the nonprofit sector right now has an opportunity to sort of shift out of the current tumultuous time we've been in and maybe think about some new directions. And so I'm curious, when you think about collaborative leadership, how does that show up for you among staff, among board, among donors? What does that look like in the day-to-day for you? Mm. It it mostly means that I am listening really deeply and radically 
to what I'm seeing and hearing and feeling and noticing. So I, I feel like as a leader, I'm in a space of acute observation most of the time. And that that is a way to welcome people to share with me what they need. Um, and so I think that's that's an important piece of the puzzle for me is, is how we listen to each other. And I think that how we listen to each other is one of the pathways through and maybe out of the tumultuousness that you just spoke of. Can I follow up on that? Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'm having an imagination about our audience as one is is inclined to do as a writer. And I'm thinking about people going, that sounds great, Sarah, but, right? <laughs> or yeah. that would never work here because, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, sort of some of the inherent obstacles baked into the nonprofit sector around that, right? There's a certain amount of um, vulnerability and availability that haven't always been rewarded in the sector. Um, and I, I hear those as threads of, of pieces necessary to engage in this work. So I'm wondering sort of how you in leadership approach environments where things have been used against people or not maybe for them and, and sort of how, how to create some of that culture of lean in around this space. Mm, yeah. I feel that deeply in terms of the how, like what does that look like on the ground in terms of the actual interaction? And the thing I found, at least in my, my work with nonprofits in the past and currently is that we're so afraid to make a mistake. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to be transparent because we'll be, you know, quote unquote, called out or we'll be, right. um, you know, our butts in the light. <laughs> so <laughs> we want to do right. And we want also to appear to be doing right. We want the optics of rightness to sort of lead, <laughs> lead us. And we have to give that up. We have to sort of burn down that idea that we're going to be perfect. And when I think about white supremacy culture and perfectionism and the role that plays in how we treat each other, I, I'm really interested in a conversation about how are we vulnerable. So what that means is, for me, the reality that I can never create a truly safe space, hmm. but I can create a, a pretty resilient one. And the way we do that is not, um, not hope, hope, hope that we don't create harm or hope, hope, hope that we don't say the wrong thing or have a policy that impacts somebody in an unintended way, but know that we are going to. We're going to harm people. We are going to upset someone. We are going to create a ripple of impact that was unintended in some way, regardless of intention, but we have to really think about our intention. And so rather than sort of preparing myself for never being wrong. I'm preparing myself for probably being wrong. And what does it look like on the other side of that, that inciting incident or that moment or that experience? What's my accountability work on the backside of it? How do I engage with repair? So for me in nonprofit leadership right now, it's all about creating opportunities to practice repair and practice accountability. I really am thinking too about this wonderful article I read by Mia Mingus called Dreaming Accountability. And she poses this question, which I find infinitely fascinating, which is what if accountability wasn't scary? What if it was, a, <laughs> right? It was a sacred state that like you hope you get called into a state of accountability because then you can practice your humanness and your relationality and you can practice what it actually means to be in community. So the work is slow and the work is, um, gosh, 
it's it is vulnerable but i'm really interested in creating right relationship through accountability practices and having an agreement about what that looks like for for our team so i'm curious about your board of directors every <laughs> nonprofit leader has a board of directors that yep says we need the numbers, the budget, we need to understand analytics, outcomes, mission, and you say, we're going to slow our roll, <laughs> we're going to listen, we're going to pause. How how do you get the buy-in and engagement and investment from your board of directors to say, yes, this work has to be done differently, and yes, we're going to enter into this work with some intentionality and with a willingness to be vulnerable? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that still, I, still a question? Yes. I do have a, a wonderful board of directors. And of course, our vision needs to be at least somewhat aligned about where we're going as an organization, which means I have to communicate really clearly what that vision looks like. But also, I don't see it as a either or. I believe in analytics. I believe in numbers. Statistics are really important. And they tell us some really important truths about how we're actually doing and that's not the end all be all of, of how we are or the state of the world or the state of the organization. I think about it like a nurse. So I worked as a birth and death doula for a long time. And my work and my practice was about continuity of care. And so for instance, when I'm with a birthing parent and they are in the throes of labor, of course I'm watching that neonatal heartbeat. Of course, I am taking her pulse. Of course, I've got, uh, you know, all the equipment out so that I can understand how her body or how their body is functioning uh, and how the baby is doing. And I'm also reading the room. I'm looking around <laughs> at her, their body, what, what they're doing with it, how they feel, what are the um, cues of belonging in the room? Does she feel like she belongs there? What about... Um, what about her or his partner? Like how how is the room uh, situated to support them and and create a sense of belonging and a sense of thriving? And so those two pieces of information um, are both important, and they're important for a board too. So as we're looking at our numbers and we're looking at our our you know grants portfolio and we're looking at numbers served and we're looking at policies passed and we're looking at uh, those pieces of the puzzle, we also need to be looking at uh, the well being of the staff. Um, and our our constituents' ability to thrive within within the relationship that we've created. So I'm all about uh, external knowing and also some internal knowing. There needs to be a little bit of like gut check. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that it's sort of for me. I sometimes think about it too. About you can be in the boat paddling so fast, so brilliantly, so expertly. But if where you are sitting, the weight of where you are sitting is not an advantage to everyone on the raft staying in the raft, you know, it's sort of like if we're all in that one corner, it doesn't right. matter the volume of paddling we're doing. There has to be a distribution and, a, and a, that reading of the room to understand where we are in time and space, too, which is um, a whole different. It's like the 12th element the yes. 3D puzzle, oh, you know, fine. it's like, it's all of these things where people are like, wait, I am literally paddling the most I can. And you want me to look at how we're positioned in the raft to all get there. And it just, so how do you, how do you open that discussion of like, the answer is yes, yes, that's actually what we're going to be doing. But how does it feel like an invite versus something insurmountable? Mm -hmm. I, this might sound really silly and just 
detail oriented, but how I schedule my days is sort of how the organization functions. <laughs> there is a Monday where I take the day for me and for vision work. And that's that 10,000 foot view. I get in that airplane and I go up and I look down at the landscape and I try to really understand through the channels that I have and the connections and relationships that I have, how is the body of the organization faring? Like is oxygen going to the, the body in the proper way? Like is all of, are all organs functioning? And then on Tuesday, I drop back down, like I land the plane and I hop back in and I do a lot of site specific wound tending and I do a lot of site specific um, communication work and uh, really attend to the most like critically important things that the body needs. And then on Wednesday, I get to sort of breathe back out again and check in with my team because we've all been kind of doing the same thing. And so these are ways in which I can figure out, you know, are we all in one corner of the raft paddling really hard and do we need to be somewhere else? And the board, I feel like I do that um, in communication and in co-creation with my board as well. We had a board retreat recently where we talked about vision and strategic planning, all the big things that an organization should be talking about. And then on the second day, we came back and we really brought it down into like bite-sized pieces that were chewable and digestible. And we made sure that everybody had the thing they needed to eat, <laughs> where their strengths were aligned with the job. And we all kind of knew what was expected of us and, and how to move forward with our little piece of the puzzle. And then we had to trust each other to all go and do those things. So that's how I approach that sort of, you know, um, assessment, that organizational assessment. And I try to do it every week. I like the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just the sort of pragmatic perspective for a leader to think through how they break down their time, how they start to make some space for big picture visioning. I think that that's one of the biggest things that executives of all level challenge are challenged with is how do I do that big picture vision? Um, I want to go to Monday for a minute with you. Yeah. So your big picture visioning, how as you're starting to sort of fly above and look at the landscape... How does this start to play out for you in relationship to funders? How are you engaging them? What do you think becomes possible with this sort of like collaborative openness? What does that look like? I love being able to talk to funders and folks that we're in relationship with around fundraising because we get to invite them into the process as much as they want to be in the process. Mm -hmm. Some don't, some do, <laughs> but uh, it's a place for me to practice transparency. It's a place where I get to uh, really sit in this thing I preach and practice, which is vulnerability. And so if I can practice vulnerability with a funder and I can share with them where our challenges are and what our dreams are and what we hope to achieve in the next week, 10 weeks, year 10 years um that that's a that's a great practice for me it's it, they serve a beautiful purpose not only of course are they in partnership with us and helping us fulfill our mission but they're also helping me learn how to lead from the heart mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that and i even tell them i say you know what i'm going to practice something with you which is i'm going to be really transparent about this thing we're dealing with and that they, they lean in they're like oh my gosh it's like when you're watching a show or something and you've got all your actors on stage and something happens that's not planned and the whole audience leans in because they're like I'm watching a real moment right now. <laughs> and I feel like that is an opportunity I get to have with funders all the time. And most of them 
they're they're there to play with me and they're there to practice with me. So I, I really appreciate them. Well, I want to dive further into how you practice this. So I want to dive into your Tuesday a little bit, yeah. but let's take a break. We have a little message from one of our partners and we'll be back to dive into Tuesday together. Sounds good. in bringing people together. Our online learning platform for fundraising events has webinars, workshops, downloadable tools, and more designed to save you time and stress when planning your next event. We're getting nonprofit, development, and event planning professionals the tools and ideas they need to create events that inspire donors and raise more money. So join us at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. Well, welcome back. You said that you dive into Tuesday in your sort of more specific, how does that big picture view start to inform actions, start to inform the bite-sized pieces? How does that start to play out when you're thinking about vulnerability and collaboration? How does that start to play out in your team and just staff dynamics? I'm in communication every Tuesday with my whole staff. We are a hybrid team, so we're not in an office together. So I just want to share that because a lot of folks are in offices all day long and they have direct communication with their staff all the time. Also, we're a very small staff, usually two or three people. So it's me and one or two other people. So uh, we're a tiny team. And so on Tuesdays, we really um, put our heads together and huddle and figure out what's most prescient and what is in need of our immediate attention. We always address those first. And we dole those responsibilities out based on who has capacity, which we talk about a lot, capacity, and also who has the strengths sort of in that area. My job is always reaching out to the senior fellow network. Um, We have a, a program that's one year and we have um, fellows who are part of this leadership year. It's an experiential leadership year. And then they graduate at the end and become senior fellows and senior fellows are part of ALF forever. (laughs) And we're very invested in their leadership. So for me, my Tuesdays tend to be me reaching out to people in the senior fellow network who either um, I haven't reached out to in a while, or there's something that's come up and we have a question or we have a, a conversation that needs to be had. So I'll reach out to them directly. Uh, That's part of my work. I also reach out to funders on Tuesdays uh, and talk about where we're at and what we're doing. I have lots of people who um, donate in very small amounts, which I love. It's sort of the Bernie Sanders (laughs) model. Uh, And so I, I spend a lot of time reaching out to them to make sure that they know how appreciative we are, but also that they know how those dollars are being used. That's just part of my work around being transparent. And they usually have questions about what's upcoming and it helps me again, practice communicating the mission and the work of the organization. So we have a reciprocal relationship around that. And then my staff is working on the pieces of their puzzle, right? We have an operations manager who is uh, handling all of the finer details of our monthly gatherings. And I know that she's constantly working on that. Um, And uh, our program manager, uh, we've just lost our program manager actually, but they're always working on where we're headed and who we're going to meet when we get there. So we all have a a skill set, though, that is wide reaching. And while there are job descriptions, and so many nonprofit leaders are going to hear this and be like, oh, my God, us too. (laughs) You have to be able to like hop in and paddle where you need to paddle, Mm -hmm. especially with Mm -hmm. a team of two or three. 
So uh, that's the work that we do on Tuesdays is that that specific detail-oriented work. And we always check in about our capacity. In the nonprofit sector, we burn people out so fast. We have massive turnover right now, especially in leadership roles and in director roles. And that is, I think that's in part because we don't know how to thrive in this environment. We don't know how to um, take space. We don't know how to stop things. It feels like we have to keep going. And we actually don't. (laughs) Really comfortable saying, let's take a thoughtful pause, even if it's for an hour in the day or a week in the, you know, in the year where I say, let's, let's take a thoughtful pause, attend to our, our basic needs <laughs> and take care of each other so that we can come back and do the work, the right and proper work we're meant to do. So Tuesday is also a capacity check-in before we get too deep into the week. What I hear that I really love is um, you've broadened the definition of cultivation, um, that you are talking about um, folks outside the organization and cultivating Mm -hmm. them, but in a more robust whole person sort of way. But that's also extending to the people we we don't hear it utilized with, which is staff. Um, And sort of what does that mean to cultivate that relationship over time as it being as imperative to the organization as the smaller level donor or the bigger funder or sort of um, taking a look at that as a universal practice, which I think is really um, healthy for the organization. (laughs) That's why we're having this conversation today. I love it. I think that you're right, Sarah. I think that the burnout factor is really high in the nonprofit sector. And I think that we rarely take time to take care of ourselves, let alone each other. And something about your cultivation of your team, your cultivation of your senior fellows, but also the relationship you have with your funders is striking to me because I think often people are thinking, funder, I go to them once with an Mm -hmm. ask, hopefully they give, I move on. You are in relationship to your funder. Um, And I'm curious if you can talk about if that varies depending upon if there are individual who's giving versus a foundation and how often are you communicating with your funders? Mm-hmm. I'm commuting, communicating every week with my funders because I'm communicating with the senior fellow network. So the people we serve are also a lot of the individual yep. donors that support our work. So that's a, that's a sort of unique thing to our organization. Right. So I get to cultivate a relationship because we already have a relationship Uh, And I'm also continuing the good work of my predecessors, right? I just got into this job in October. And so I'm still learning who the who is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I'm in a um, beautiful opportunity right now where I get to say, hey, I'm new. And I'd like to get to know you. So most people respond really well to, hey, I'm new. <laughs> so, oh, that is like a secret weapon that I feel like you should be able to use for at least the first two years in the leadership absolutely. role. It opens and, doors. Mm-hmm. It gets funders to say, oh, I do need to meet you. It's such a great tool. Absolutely. And I've been using it with foundations and I've been using it with organizations and I've been using it with um, individuals because it's true. right? <laughs> so it is a tool and it's also true. Uh, so I also, um, I'm really, I'm a storyteller. I'm really interested in people and their stories. And 
I think the reason people give anything at all in this world is because they're invested in your story and because you've probably listened to theirs. And there's some kind of bridge that has been formed between the heart and between the mind. And so with foundations, if I'm talking to a program officer, I'm talking to a grant specialist, you know, I want to get to know them and they feel that because it's authentic. I really, I need, we need each other right? We need people. Uh, Nonprofit sector doesn't exist without the beauty of the human experience. And so I want to bring that into all of my conversations. I love that. I think that so often we're moving quickly, we're moving through to do's and tasks and how to manage the needs, but rarely take the time to be in relationship with each other. And yet I think what we've learned, especially in the past couple of years, is that when we are not in relationship to each other, we lose investment, we lose engagement, we lose partnership. So that sort of returning to relationship and collaboration, I think is just so important right now, especially, but just as such a critical piece of the puzzle. How are you moving that work forward with your mission, meaning not just your relationship to your donors or your board or your staff, but the people you serve, the participants in your program? Yeah, the relationship is the core element of systems change. That's what we believe at ALF Organ. And relational leadership is what is going to move uh, Organ forward and move systems forward in a way that is in alignment with our values and in alignment with what communities need. I'm really honored that I get to serve leaders. So while they are serving their communities and they are catalysts for change in their own communities, I get to be a resource to them as they deepen their interconnected web of support, right? That they create their own mutual care model around them. And so, um, you know, leadership is a lonely job. It's isolating, it's siloing, and um, and our culture promotes that. We promote mm-hmm. the sort of champion out by themselves, sort of like <laughs> dragging all of the weight of the community behind them, like just, you know, making it happen. And I am not interested in that anymore. <laughs> and I think that that way of working is why we are in the situation we're in. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, when people yell self-care at me, I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> community care, mutual care. So I take it to uh, the Alf Organ leaders uh, in terms of how we care for them. We're here to resource them and be in relationship. And I also think that it's more fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like super plain and simple, like it's really joyful. <laughs> Well, people understand and can feel immediately when they're a task versus an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, when I am in a conversation with someone, my assumption is they have a really elegant people-powered solution to the issue I'm facing. And if I can listen and I appreciate where they have come from and I appreciate and and deeply respect their lived experience, then we're going to have a great conversation at the very least. We might even do something great together. (laughs) And that's, that's so exciting to me. Well, I think that a lot of our listeners are leaders. And so I want to take a pause, but when we come back after a message from one of our partners, I want to ask you about your own self-care practice, because I think that that is an element that in order for you to do vulnerable work and be in a collaborative space, you have to also have a practice of taking care of yourself. And as an organization working with leaders, you are 
in that practice every day with those leaders. So um, let's take a pause. We'll come back and we'll dive in more about leadership. The Fundraising Elevator is recorded at the AV Department in Portland, Oregon. For years, they've been our trusted partner, delivering exceptional audiovisual production and videography for nonprofits. In 2020, they transformed into a dynamic live streaming studio, producing more than 900 virtual and hybrid events. Now, we embark on an exciting journey together to bring you this podcast. Seeking the best in live events, video production, and live streaming? We proudly recommend our friends at the AV department. Link in the episode description. Okay, Sarah, let's talk tactically a little bit about the idea of self-care. I know it's something that gets tossed around. I also know that it has um, become something that while uh, it gets talked about in nonprofit circles, it's also something that um, has some ire directed it when people sort of take up that space or ask for that space, how, how do you, how does that tactically show up for you as you continue moving pieces forward? Right. I think sometimes there's that, that one or the other, what does both and look like? Mm. It's a lonely business being in leadership. Mm -hmm. And so I have a coach. I love my coach. She uh, is not with me all the time. You know, I'm not on like a regular schedule with her, but um, especially when I need support, I reach out to her. And it's so nice to have somebody with an objective view of the work who understands the organization and understands me and my way of moving through the world who can kind of help me work some things out. So I really, uh, I really promote the idea of having somebody in there with you, in the ring with you, (laughs) that's just there to support you. Another thing I do is I really protect my weekends. Um, With the schedule I have with Alf Oregon, we spend one week a month in a community with travel. And so I already have one week where I'm working straight through, probably like 11 to 12 days at a time. So all of my other weekends and holidays, I really, really protect. And, And I model that for my staff so that they too protect their time. I am not reaching out to them if I don't have to, and they're not reaching out to me if they don't have to. So I've got small children uh, under the age of 18. And so it's, it's a lot that I'm holding and I need to respect that. Otherwise I can't do my, my work. The other thing that I do is I don't try to do it all. (laughs) You ask me, how do I do everything I do? Or how do I, you know, at the very beginning, Kristen, and uh, some of those things are just half-assed <laughs> and luckily not with the organization, but sometimes it's okay to do an okay job yeah, uh, on some things. And so I really prioritize like, what are the things I need to really stick the landing on? And what are the things I just need to move forward? And what are the things that just don't get my attention this week? And that's fine. And so I'm really clear about those three categories. And that might, you know, it's, sometimes it's annoying for people I'm working with who are like, hey, are we still moving this forward? And I'm like, yep, but it's on the third rung of priority right now. And I'm just really transparent about that and why. So those are ways in which I take care of myself, protect my time and protect my peace. Yeah. So advice for executive leaders, coach, how did you find a coach? Mm-hmm. I am really interested in leadership and leadership models. So I do a lot of trainings 
And I do a lot of um, cohort work myself since I lead cohorts. It's a great way to learn how to do it and how to um, hold space. Um, I'm also a facilitator. So I do a lot of facilitator trainings. And I met Anya Hankin is her name. She's in Portland, Oregon, through her program called the Catalyst Leadership Cohort. And I really loved working with her in a cohort model. And uh, turns out she also does private coaching. And so that's how I met her. And also just professional development for leaders is so important. Take the time to go to that cohort, do that awesome like two week long thing in DC uh, or follow that facilitation model that you really enjoyed in that one convening and go find out who's doing it and how they're, how they're training folks to do it. So um, keep learning. That's also exciting for me and ebullient, right? It's effervescent, mm -hmm. it makes me excited. And so it's a way to recharge is for me to learn new ways of being and new ways of thinking. Now, I know that ALF is a national network. There are yes. locations all over the place. And it's a really powerful learning opportunity for leaders of being in relationship to each other and not being isolated and developing uh, sustaining relationships in your community. How do people learn more if they wanted to pursue American Leadership Forum as a leadership training? We have a pretty uh, tight nomination process, which is an interesting one for me as somebody who is like an open door person to have a nomination process that only goes through the door of the senior fellow network is an interesting uh, sort of truth to hold. <laughs> and so um, nominations have to happen by someone from the senior fellow network. But luckily there are 800 senior fellows throughout the state of Oregon and in these other states as well, Washington, California, Texas, North Carolina, for instance, and chances are you know somebody in mm -hmm. the senior fellow network. So I have had leaders reach out and say, I really want to do this program, but I don't know anyone in the American Leadership Forum senior fellow network. And I'll say, you probably do. Let's find them. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we go, we go hunting. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, at the fundraising elevator, we ask everyone two questions um, to go on a little elevator ride with us. And first, we head up to the party on the penthouse and <laughs> ask for you to tell us about a party you've been to that was memorable, that just like stuck with you and what made it a special party. Yeah, I went to a really wonderful party in Dallas, Texas once, and it was a bunch of musicians. It was for the Women's Institute, um, Music Institute, uh, and there are a lot of people who are introverts and a lot of people who are extroverts and it's hard to know who's who. So when I first walked into the door to this mixer, this party where I didn't know very many people and they didn't know each other either, we had a little badge that we could put on that said we were an introvert or an extrovert. And you got to choose, right? It's just not about, am I always an introvert or an extrovert, but how am I feeling in this moment? Right now. <laughs> so, right now. And it was, it's a capacity question, right? Mm -hmm. The question inherent in choose which badge is, do you have capacity to start conversations right now or don't you? And so I put on an extrovert badge because I know how to do that. And uh, the host just said, if you're wearing an extrovert badge, you are holding the opportunity to start the conversation. And people with an introvert badge, you get to take a breath and just be a part of the moment and respond as you like. And it was great because the people who were really shy or who weren't really in an energetic space to be able to you know, network 
they got to sort of be on the receiving end and folks who were uh, the extroverts got to sort of engage first. And then about halfway through the party, we switched badges. Oh, that's a and twist so we, I wasn't expecting, right? Sarah. It was so much fun. So the people who were like, I know how to talk and I know how to sort of lead spaces, uh, they got to take a back seat and be quiet and really receive others. And the folks who had um, had the sort of like opportunity at the beginning to be listeners, they got to take on the challenge or opportunity of, of being the instigator. But at that point, they'd already been there for an hour or so. Maybe they'd had a cocktail. They felt a little more comfortable. And I really loved that aspect of that party. And I thought it was a really great way to honor where people were at. In That's terms of their dreamy. Yeah, that wonderful. idea of like a rule as you walk in that teaches you how to engage or per- gives you permission for permission. how to engage. It was just deep permission. Yeah. I love it. Well, you've talked about a couple of things that to me all spark that idea of the importance of people being seen, both in your example for the party, as well as just in your very cult- cultivated and curated work that you do around being in right relationships. So if we take a ride in the elevator down to the basement and look at where we store our tools, what is a tool you think that an executive director or leader mm-hmm. needs to have in order to enter into work, collaborative work, right relationship with the people they serve, with their community, with their board? I mean, you have to have an accountability practice in place, and that can come from a lot of places. Um, Mine is based on, well, a lot of experience being in different communities, but I look to the disability justice model that was developed by Mia Mingus and Stacey Milburn. Uh, I find that um, their work uh, around accountability and, and agency over oneself is a great place to start in terms of understanding how to be in right relationship. I also think about um, Representative Ileana Presley, who says those closest to the pain need to be closest to the power. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. my work uh, is always on those Mondays when I'm taking that <laughs> 10,000 foot view, I'm really thinking about those in our organization that we serve that are in the most impacted communities and where are they situated in terms of the layout of our organization right now? And how can I get them closer to the quote unquote power? <laughs> to me, it's a, um, having a good power analysis is mm, really important mm-hmm. for any leader, but especially in the nonprofit industry as we're trying to serve those uh, in our communities. Well, we are just so inspired by your leadership and feel like there's so much work to be done right now in the sector around rethinking, reframing, pausing, bringing some space and collaboration and breath into the missions that we all believe so much in. So um, if folks wanted to learn more about you, about your organization, where can folks find you? Sure. If you want to know more about me as a playwright and an artist and facilitator and space holder, That work is all at sarahgreenman.com. You'll find all sorts of things there because I'm uh, a polymath and I do a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's there for you. Uh, And also alforgan.org is the website for the American Leadership Forum of Oregon. And uh, we have a new website coming out in about two weeks. So mid-August 2023 is when we're going to be launching that new website. So 
also one of my little projects. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to encourage all of our listeners to dive in a little bit deeper to um, pausing to think about collaboration and how to be in partnership with the community you serve. Um, you have a Creative Alchemy Cycle workshop, and I want to let folks know that there's a free pre-recorded one linked in our show notes so that folks can listen to that. And also you have a podcast that I have just started tuning into, and it is beautiful, Sarah, your Collaborative Alchemy podcast. I recommend everyone take some time. It's just such a beautiful sort of reflection of the relationship to community that you're in. And so want to encourage leaders to take some time and listen to some of the wisdom that your uh, speakers and your guests share with you in your podcast. And thank you for being here to challenge our listeners a little bit and how to breathe some new energy into mission work. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much, both of you. It's an honor to be here and a joy to be doing this work. And um, I just on an end note would love to say thank you for uh, exhibiting that the hard work that we all should be working into our daily practice doesn't have to be without joy. Mm, it should be with joy. Otherwise, we be. won't keep doing it. That's and we exactly need to keep right. Doing it. That's exactly right. So those things can go hand in hand. The hard can be joyful. So thanks for that reminder. My pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Have a great day. Thank you all for listening to The Elevator. We're excited to have you all join us for our next episode. And if you want to see a video of our content today with Sarah, click over to our video session to learn more. And we'll link Sarah's podcast and her Creative Alchemy Cycle in the show notes. Thank you. The Fundraising Elevator is produced in partnership with Swaim Strategies at the studios of the AV department. The program is produced by April Clark and directed by Steve Osborne, with audio engineering and original music by Dwayne Anderson and Heidi Christensen. Video production by Chris Peterson, Whitney Gomes, and Nathan Bouquet. Video editing by Steve Osborne. Graphic design by Pendulum Creative Group and support from Sophia Keller, John Lyles, and Andy Dowsett.